The lath-like stripling frowned. Who be you then, John Derbyfield, to order me about and call me boy? You know my name as well as I know yours. Do you? Do you? Fred, I don't mind telling you that I'm one of a noble race. It's been just found out by me this present afternoon, P.M. Sir John Durbeville, that's who I am, continued the prostrate man. That is, if knights were baronets, which they be. Tis recorded in history all about me. Dost know of such a place, lad, as Kingsbeer sub Greenhill? Is I've been there to Greenhill Fair. Well, under the church of that there parish lie my ancestors, hundreds of them. There's not a man in the county of South Wessex that got grander and nobler skeletons in his family than I. Oh? Now go on to Marlot, and when you've come to the pure drop-in, tell him to send a horse and carriage to me immediately to carry me home. And in the bottom of the carriage, they be to put a noggin of rum in a small bottle and chalk it up to my account. And when you've done that, go on to my house with the basket and tell my wife to put away that washing, because she needn't finish it, and wait till I come home, as I've news to tell her. As the lad stood in a dubious attitude, Derbyfield put his hand in his pocket and produced a shilling, one of the chronically few that he possessed. Here's for your labour, lad. This made a difference in the young man's estimate of the position, and as he set out, the notes of a brass band were heard from the direction of the village. What's that? said Derbyfield. Not on account I. Tis the women's club walking, Sir John. Why, your daughter is one of the members. To be sure, I quite forgot it in my thoughts of greater things. The lad departed, and Derbyfield lay waiting on the grass and daisies in the evening sun. Not a soul passed that way for a long while, and the faint notes of the band were the only human sounds audible within the rim of blue hills. The village of Marlot lay amid the northeastern undulations of the beautiful Vale of Blakemore, or Blackmore aforesaid, an engirdled and secluded region, for the most part untrodden as yet by tourist or landscape painter, though within a four hours' journey from London. The district is of historic, no less than of topographical interest. The Vale was known in former times as the Forest of White Hart. The forests have departed but some old customs of their shades remain. Many, however, linger only in a metamorphosed or disguised form. The May Day dance, for instance, was to be discerned on the afternoon under notice in the guise of the club revel, or club walking, as it was there called. The banded ones were all dressed in white gowns. In addition to the distinction of a white frock, Every woman and girl carried in her right hand a peeled willow wand, and in her left a bunch of white flowers. The peeling of the former and the selection of the latter had been an operation of personal care. There were a few middle-aged and even elderly women in the train, their silver wiry hair and wrinkled faces scourged by time and trouble, having almost a grotesque, certainly a pathetic appearance in such a jaunty situation. The young girls formed, indeed, the majority of the band, and their heads of luxuriant hair reflected in the sunshine every tone of gold and black and brown. Some had beautiful eyes, others a beautiful nose, 
others a beautiful mouth and figure. Few, if any, had all. They were all cheerful, and many of them merry. They came round by the pure drop-in, and were turning out of the high road to pass through a wicked gate into the meadows, when one of the women said, "'The Lord, the Lord! Why, Tess Derbyfield, if there isn't thy father riding home in a carriage!' A young member of the band turned her head at the exclamation. She was a fine and handsome girl, not handsomer than some others, possibly, but her mobile peony mouth and large, innocent eyes added eloquence to colour and shape. She wore a red ribbon in her hair and was the only one of the white company who could boast of such a pronounced adornment. As she looked round, Derbyfield was seen moving along the road in a chaise belonging to the pure drop, driven by a frizzle-headed, brawny damsel with her gown sleeves rolled above her elbows. This was the cheerful servant of that establishment, who in her part of factotum turned groom and ostler at times. Derbyfield, leaning back and with his eyes closed luxuriously, was waving his hand above his head and singing in a slow recitative, I've got a great family vault at Kingsbeer, and knighted forefathers in lead coffins there. The clubbists tittered, except the girl called Tess, in whom a slow heat seemed to rise at the sense that her father was making himself foolish in their eyes. He's tired, that's all, she said hastily, and he's got a left home because our own horse has to rest today. Tess's pride would not allow her to turn her head again to learn what her father's meaning was, if he had any. And thus she moved on with the whole body to the enclosure where there was to be dancing on the green. Nothing was seen or heard further of Derbyfield in his triumphal chariot under the conduct of the ostleress, and the club, having entered the allotted space, dancing began. As there were no men in the company, the girls danced at first with each other, but when the hour for the close of labour drew on, the masculine inhabitants of the village, together with other idlers and pedestrians, gathered round the spot and appeared inclined to negotiate for a partner. Among these onlookers were three young men of a superior class, carrying small knapsacks strapped to their shoulders and stout sticks in their hands. Their general likeness to each other and their consecutive ages would almost have suggested that they might be what in fact they were, brothers. The eldest wore the white tie, high waistcoat, and thin-brimmed hat of the regulation curate. The second was the normal undergraduate. The appearance of the third and youngest would hardly have been sufficient to characterise him. There was an uncribbed, uncabined aspect in his eyes and attire, implying that he had hardly as yet found the entrance to his professional groove. These three brethren told casual acquaintance that they were spending their wits and holidays in a walking tour through the Vale of Blackmoor. They leant over the gate by the highway and inquired as to the meaning of the dance and the white-frocked maids. The two elder of the brothers were plainly not intending to linger more than a moment, but the spectacle of a bevy of girls dancing without male partners seemed to amuse the third and make him in no hurry to move on. He unstrapped his knapsack, put it with his stick on the hedge-bank, and opened the gate. "'What are you going to do, Angel?' asked the eldest. "'I'm inclined to go and have a fling with them. "'Why not all of us, just for a minute or two? "'It will not detain us long.' "'No, no, nonsense,' said the first. "'Dancing in public with a troop of country hoydens? "'Suppose we should be seen.' 
All right. I'll overtake you and Cuthbert in five minutes. Don't stop. I give my word that I will, Felix. The two elder reluctantly left him and walked on, taking their brother's knapsack to relieve him in following, and the youngest entered the field. This is a thousand pities, he said gallantly, to two or three of the girls nearest him, as soon as there was a pause in the dance. Where are your partners, my dears? They've not left off work yet, answered one of the boldest. They'll be here by and by. Till then, will you be one, sir? Certainly. But what's one among so many? Better than none. Shh, don't be so forward, said a shire girl. The young man, thus invited, glanced them over and attempted some discrimination. But as the group were all so new to him, he could not very well exercise it. He took almost the first that came to hand, which was not the speaker, as she had expected. Nor did it happen to be Tess Derbyfield. The name of the eclipsing girl, whatever it was, has not been handed down. But she was envied by all as the first who enjoyed the luxury of a masculine partner that evening. Yet such was the force of example that the village young men now dropped in quickly, and soon the couples became leavened with rustic youth to a marked extent, till at length the plainest woman in the club was no longer compelled to foot it on the masculine side of the figure. The church clock struck, when suddenly the student said that he must leave. As he fell out of the dance, his eyes lighted on Tess Derbyfield, whose own large orbs wore, to tell the truth, the faintest aspect of reproach that he had not chosen her. He too was sorry then that, owing to her backwardness, he had not observed her. And with that in his mind, he left the pasture.